Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. Great to have you here. Less than two weeks getting down to the wire. Ooh, going to be a close one. It's going to be tight. It's going to be tough. Get ready for it. But today, there's such a calm. If you look around the news cycle, there's really not a whole lot of big, blaring headlines about much of anything. It's almost like we're in the middle of August in a non-election year. For the day, this could change at any moment. Even though you have COVID still rampaging through the country, uh, not the way that the libs say it is, but it is still out there, and it's still a, a challenge. The lockdown's continuing to be a hold on our economy and a president a presidential election less than two weeks away pelosi negotiating in bad faith over a stimulus or a rescue i should say bill for people because of the covid lockdowns and yet today if you take a look around you'd find well hold on why isn't there really more noticeable news to talk about how could this be well there's a reason for it friends We are in the great suppression campaign of 2020, right? You know about the Great Depression economically. This is the Great Suppression. They're doing everything that they can to hold off on the Hunter Biden, the Hunter Biden avalanche. They're just trying to just trying to keep it back a little bit longer because what else are they going to do? They've already thrown their October surprises at Trump. They've already tried. They had the. BS story in the Atlantic about how Trump d- d- thinks troops are losers. I mean, no, no person who has any brains really believed that. But, you know, there are all these different stories they've tried and hasn't worked. But the Hunter Biden story is a big problem for the media because they went all in in their efforts to make sure nobody knew anything about it, that it was fake, that it was Russian, Russian disinformation. And you can just feel it's it's not working. It's not working because there's more. And now, as of as of yesterday, we can tell you that there's at least reporting from high level sources in the FBI and the DOJ that, yes, the FBI has the Hunter Biden laptop. And yes, it is, in fact, the case that the DOJ and the FBI agree with the DNI statement, Radcliffe statement earlier. Now, there's no evidence whatsoever for Russian disinformation here doesn't exist. So people like Adam Schiff who are going out there claiming there's Russian disinformation. They're presenting a completely speculative theory offered in bad faith and hoping nobody pays attention to the fact that they have no evidence, no support for it whatsoever. Nothing. Zero. It's not working. The story is now out. People are seeing what what really happened here. And I do think that there's some portion of the media that's concerned that the Joe Biden piece of this may solidify. It's one thing for Hunter Biden to be this really obviously, uh, you know, wounded, corrupt, but really also sad ne'er-do-well. That's one thing. It's another thing for Joe Biden to be directly benefiting from and using his position as part of that corrupt scheme And this is exactly what the president is saying about it. That's the president's claim. That actually could really matter to voters. 
you know, on the one hand, we just need to know the truth because we should. We should be a society that operates in the realm of, of facts and honesty and decency when we talk about our politics or politicians. And we need to know what's real and what's not. But that's the first layer of getting the truth out about Hunter Biden. There's another layer where it's the media can't be trusted at all. And you know this. Uh, they have no ethics. They have no decency. I mean, even people that I know who are on the fence often about trashing the entire mainstream media, but who are center right, they will admit now we've never seen anything like this. I mean, this is true. Banana Republic, authoritarian, third world state media stuff. Fascinatingly enough, it's state media in favor of the state that they want to bring into being instead of the regime that already is in power. But that's what we're facing. That is what it, that is what we are seeing right now. They don't care that you can look and, and understand right away that they're partisans and they've been lying to you this whole time. They're building up credibility with their own side. This is now a loyalty test. You see, if you're a journalist in America, the loyalty test is, are you willing to sacrifice your dignity, your intelligence, your professionalism in pursuit of advancing Biden to the Oval Office. That's a, that's the loyalty test that 95 percent of the media is going through right now. And they're all succeeding insofar as they're willing to do all those things as long as it helps Joe Biden, because they know that if he wins for four years, at least whoever ends up being the real president, whether Joe steps down after a couple of years and Kamala takes over, or maybe it's even sooner than a couple of years, whoever it may be, they will have a Democrat administration that will give them access that they can all cheer for. And they'll be oh so happy while they feel like their side, their team is in charge again. And this is very important to liberals in particular who take their politics and internalize it to the point where they really believe that rooting for Democrats makes them better, smarter, more empathetic people. So an, an administration, a Biden administration coming into power at this point would would help them on personal and professional levels. And that, that's why they're willing to do the things that, that you've seen. Unprecedented suppression campaign from the mainstream media. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And big tech also put itself in a very, uh, a very precarious position because now we know when it really matters on a critical issue, if they feel like they can put their thumb on the scale for the left, for the Democrat, Twitter and Facebook will do it. Even with no real rationalization or justification, they will go to the mat for the Democrat. So that means that now Republicans have to look more seriously at how are they regulated? Why aren't they treated like other media companies are treated? Why do they have this Section 230 protection? They're not just a highway for ideas and information. Right? They got a lot of traffic cops on that highway and they only pull over Republicans. So I have to tell you, I think what we're seeing right now is a media that's in a little bit of a quiet panic because they can't stop as much as they tried uh, the Hunter Biden story. They can't shut all of this down and. They don't have anything to offer in their all out assault on Trump that they haven't already been trying, not just during this election cycle, but for years. 
It's not going to sway anyone at the last minute. I think they recognize that at some level, you know, talking about Russia and whatever else they're throwing at Trump. Now, remember, uh, what was it, a month ago? The obsession was about Trump and not condemning white supremacy. You know, Trump is a white supremacist because he won't his words don't come out quickly enough when he says that he condemns white supremacy or something like that. He doesn't scream from the top of his lungs when asked. You know, he just says, I condemn white supremacy. No, you must scream it, sir. So they've changed these narratives. They've done everything they can. And Trump can still win this thing. And they know it. Just imagine what the country would be like if we had an evenly matched media, if we had platforms on the right that were as well-funded and well-established as those on the left, as many of them, and uh, we were able to really go toe-to-toe with them, you know, go cannon for cannon, so to speak, with the other side. I don't think you'd have a Democrat win a national election for decades. The media gives them at least a five to 10 point boost over what they would have if there was some parity. I'm not, I'm not saying if, if the right dominated all media the way the left does. I'm just saying if there was some parity, but there's not. Instead, what we have are Republicans that have to go into debates where they know the moderator, as will be the case tomorrow, the moderator is effectively a Democrat activist. And you only have to make some small changes. Think about it like a referee in a sporting event. If a referee is biased, You know, all you have to do is call that one that give that one bogus pass interference call. Right. All you have to do is call that one time, call out the, you know, the offsides or whatever it may be to change the change the final outcome. And in debates, it's not hard if somebody wants to make sure that one, they're sending a signal to all their peers and their buddies. Don't worry. We all know I'm a Biden person. And two, if they want to make sure that the Biden candidacy can come out and have some credibility of saying that they did a better job, it's very easy. You just have to skew it a little bit. You just have to move, move the goalposts just a bit to help out your guy, Joe Biden. That's what's going to happen tomorrow night. And we just accept this. We, we admit this. And, and I got to tell you, you know, it reminds me of what I've been saying here for months. When we talk about it, and it was great because Rush Limbaugh himself, you'll recall, read every single word of this uh, this Twitter thread on uh, this was back in June. He read every single word of it on his radio show. And as we sit here and the media is quiet because they don't have a good enough assault strategy on Trump for the moment, I wanted to share with you again what my thoughts were. And remember, Rush himself, the greatest ever radio host, thought that this needed to be read to his entire audience word for word. If one of the already vilified conservative billionaires out there has any stomach for saving their country from the mob, they should buy and flip a major media platform or fund a new one and make it an unsinkable aircraft carrier of true free speech. We are completely outgunned in the platform wars, and it's only going to get worse All the major social media and streaming content companies are part of the Lib Death Star. Stop sending checks to think tanks that overpay second tier scholars to churn out policy papers that five people read. It doesn't even have to be conservative in its mission mission. It just needs to become dominated by conservatives. Rather, it would soon become dominated by conservatives if it adamantly refused to censor speech for the woke mob. The left can no longer tolerate debate like sane people. 
but they don't have to. They just point, scream and cancel. Meanwhile, I know ultra wealthy conservatives were terrified of anyone finding out what their politics are, because to be accepted among the elites, you have to at least allow those around you to believe you're woke and lib. This is a massive cultural failing of the right. And where are the older leaders in conservative media building up the next generation? Folks on our side seem obsessed with their own brands and protecting their turf, which is a small slice of the media landscape. We need more voices with serious platforms we control. That was in June, and it goes on from there. Doesn't that seem like it's pretty timely considering what's going on with the media and social media in the last month or so? Well, all during the campaign, but we're outgunned. They've got more platforms. They've got more ships at sea. And we're just hoping that our superior seamanship will defeat them. Maybe. Maybe. But wouldn't it be nice if this were the last election where we had to sit here and say, sure, they dominate all of Hollywood, all of the news media, all of academia. Sure, they have all that. I might say all, you know, 95 percent of it. But wouldn't it be nice if that was the last this is the last election we had to go through that? Because if there was any fair effort to tell the American people what's really going on from those who make a living trafficking and in information. President Trump would be up seven to ten points on Joe Biden right now, everywhere that counts. I really believe that. I think the difference here is our corrupt, disgusting, disdainful media. They are the worst. And we have to find a way to beat them. We can't keep allowing this dominance to continue. And that's why I was so appreciative. Again, when, when Rush... Uh, Read that on his show, such an endorsement of it from the greatest radio host out there. Uh, It just was a reminder for everybody else. This is what we need to do. This has to be the future. We have to build our own best of daily podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. The emergence of these emails, texts, and videos that were supposedly left on a laptop in Delaware, a really fishy story, whether that was actually the product of a foreign intelligence operation. And obviously, Russia would be the chief suspect there. Look, there are so many questions about the provenance of this material. A lot of it does look legitimate. There are pictures of Hunter Biden. There are videos. There are emails. But we have no idea, and neither does the New York Post, whether any of it was doctored or forged or faked. And that's why the mainstream news media has declined to really touch this story um, because it just lacks credibility. And uh, the fact that it appeared in the New York Post and that they chose to report on it extensively um, sort of says a lot about where we are in 2020 as opposed to 2016 when a lot of news organizations reported on emails that had been hacked by the Russians, uh, Democratic emails, and then leaked, and they were newsworthy and people reported on them. We're in a much different situation now because we now know that Russian disinformation or foreign disinformation or even this, you know, campaign disinformation period is as dangerous to our democracy as anything exposed in these emails. What a jackass. I know you probably heard too much from that guy. That's uh, Ken Delanian at MSNBC. Who was a huge proponent of the entirely fraudulent Russia collusion hoax, as was Rachel Maddow, who has suffered no consequences, in fact, Her ratings during that just kept going up and up. She's never apologized for perpetuating a journalistic fraud for the massive journalistic malpractice she engaged in and all that. But she's not a journalist. She's an opinion person. But even opinion people need to be factual. 
You know, that's why if I get something wrong, producer Mark or, you know, somebody will come on the air and tell me, hey, or they'll shoot me an email and say, hey, uh, you got that one. You got that one wrong. You know, so it's important. You got to have your facts straight. Ken Delanian has none of his facts straight. Doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Total nonsense. Total nonsense. I, we need to come up with a term for this because this has become a, a commonplace tactic of the left when something is obvious and obviously true and common sense means that it, it all lines up. It's completely credible. There's tons of evidence for it. But they do this. Well, there's a lot of questions out there. So many more questions than answers. In fact, really, we have no information. We just have questions. I mean, this is a, a, a complete sleight of hand. It's a trick. It's dishonest. Right? It's just a way of of lying about what's really going on to people. But that's what they do. There are questions about the provenance of this. Let's talk about Russia. Well, what are the questions exactly? We have a signed receipt in Hunter Biden's handwriting for the laptop in Delaware. There are intimate photos, not just photos, not like stuff that they took off of Instagram, photos that don't exist anywhere else of Hunter Biden. They're not fake. They're on the laptop. The emails all, you know, if you're running this kind of a disinformation operation, if you were really doing that, very difficult to replicate all the, you know, the, the kind of emails that you would expect to be on a Hunter Biden laptop from the outside. What the, the Russians know, all of his contacts, they know his writing style. They I mean, the, the whole thing, it's it's so crazy. It's like saying that Joe Biden is not really running for president. There's a space alien who's a lizard with a Joe Biden suit on top who's running for president. That's what the MSNBC security analyst here, this guy's a moron. That's the level of absurdity they've gone to. But no one has a problem with this on the left because they're desperate right now. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. To me, I think we have to remind people over and over again of exactly what the consequences are uh, if you fail to vote. Uh, I've been telling people that all elections are important, so I don't call one more important than the other. But I will say that some elections are more consequential than others. And I believe that this is the most consequential election of my lifetime, and I've been here for a while. I even think it's more consequential than anything we've had uh, since maybe 1860, because I think we all know what grew from Abraham Lincoln's election in 1860, and we know what has happened since then. And so I'm saying to people today uh, that the consequences of this year's election are probably as dire, if not more so, uh, than the consequences of 1860. It's just that, uh, that simple. The biggest election, if not of all time, since the election of 1860, Congressman Clyburn says here. So Abraham Lincoln and Hannibal Hamlin coming out on top of that one. I gotta say Hannibal Hamlin's a pretty cool, just a pretty interesting name, isn't it? Name somebody Hannibal. One of the great generals of all time. Um, somebody that I think we'll have to do a Shields High episode on. So producer Mark can not note that one down. I think that would probably, once I get out of, and yes, we have Malta already in the books, for those who don't know, which is why you sub, uh, should subscribe to the Buck Sexton podcast if you don't already, because these will only be out on podcasts, not on not on um, radio stations. Although if any stations over the holidays want to play them, we wouldn't be opposed to that either. Uh, but they're, they're very specific history battle 
lessons that are, I don't know, just comes from a play. I, I'm fascinated by it. So we've done uh, in the past this Mediterranean Christian Muslim warfare podcasts and then the Dracula podcast, which I'm hoping to pull together before Halloween this year. Uh, but I also want to do Hannibal crossing the Alps and that period of the Punic Wars between Carthage and ancient Rome. Uh, that that would be a really fun one to do as well. Amazing battles. I, I've read I have a whole book on the battle of there's people say it several different ways. Uh, Cannae, Cannae. Uh, some people even say Canna, but uh, one of the most uh, horrific one day losses of life pre gunpowder in all of all of battle history. Uh, uh, amazing that that so many people would be killed at a time when it was all spears and swords. Anyway. Uh, but so, yes, the most consequential election since uh, 18. That was just my pitch for you all to subscribe to the Buck Sexton show on the iHeart app or Spotify or wherever. Uh, so that when those Shields High episodes come out, you'll already be good to go and you'll be able to listen to them. Um, I had a I had my sister listen to one who's about she's about to have a baby. Like and when I say about to, I mean, it could happen by the time the show is over. She's already due. It could happen any minute. I am going to be Uncle Buck. That's a real thing. I'm going to be Uncle Buck soon. And I single handedly plan to change the the feeling around the name Uncle Buck. Producer Mark, you've seen that movie, right? Of course, it's a classic. Why would you want to change anything about it? I'm not sure that I aspire to be like the John Candy character in that movie, though he is lovable in his own way. I mean, that's fair, but it's still a great movie. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's not a good movie. I'm just saying, you know, I don't think I want to be compared to that guy. So. The most consequential election, they're saying, since 1860. I, I think that there's some, some truth to that. And I think it's because the Democrat... And, and this, this is the problem, right? I'll walk you through my analysis on this, and then I'll tell you that I don't have great answers as to some of the questions that it raises. Because I do believe the Democrat Party is now emotionally and psychologically a socialist party. They don't like that label. And they're still incremental the same way that the lockdowns have been incremental. The socialism that we see in America now is is incremental. It's piece by piece. Right. It was Obamacare. Now it's Medicare for all. Next, it's just socialized medicine full on. Right. And, you know, that separation between Medicare for all is single payer. So the government pays for everyone's health care. Uh, socialized medicine. Now, now that is a a a socialist system in that you have to move a lot of money around through redistribution to fund that. But straight up socialized medicine uh, from a just a definitional standpoint would be the government paying the doctors, owning the hospitals and determining who gets what care, where, how, when that. So that so the National Health Service of the UK, that is socialized medicine. You are a state employee as a doctor in the NHS. Um, and that's where we're and it's that's been an enormous drag on uh, the British economy. And, you know, it's a it's a hugely expensive system. It's not a not a particularly good system for complicated issues if, if one comes up. And the, the problem is that the demagoguery becomes so easy around this. You know, it's like we talk about Obamacare now. They say, oh, my gosh, people without, you know, Obamacare, it's like they won't have health care anymore. We didn't have people just dying in the streets all over the place in America because of you know, preventable disease or treatable, treatable medical issues that they were just denied care for everywhere. I'm not saying that never happens. Of course, there are going to be shortcomings in the system. And, and that's tragic whenever it happens. But that wasn't our reality. 
That wasn't what was going on. And that still happens sometimes in this country, despite Obamacare, as we know, which is why they've wanted to expand beyond Obamacare into this Medicare for all plan. Although Biden doesn't want to. He wants to do Obamacare plus. You see, all, all he's doing is looking at the leap the left and the socialists wanted to make. And Biden saying, let me put a plank in between. We'll hop on that one on our way to what the socialists want. And that's really what the Biden presidency is. I think Biden is a bridge to the next administration of uh, of a Democrat that is a full on socialist like a Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, perhaps even a Kamala Harris, which means that it might not even be after four or eight years that we face this, but just a matter of a couple of a couple of years before that comes next. You know, so is this the most consequential election uh, since 1860? Now, I mean, which is almost like saying the most consequential election of all time, I guess, saying the second most of all time Uh, to this, I'd say I think the Democrats not only have gone socialist, but also have a plan to permanently transform the country with they first remove the filibuster. And and I I do believe I am very worried they're going to have control of the of the Senate. So let's just let's just talk about this for a moment. If they get control of the House, the Senate and the presidency, okay, they get all three. Uh, what would be the first thing that they do? They'll eliminate the filibuster in the Senate entirely. I do believe that will happen. They will pack the court. I do believe that will happen. And they will move. The the biggest thing they can go for right away is a full-on amnesty. And the Biden presidency can do that knowing that Joe Biden, if it becomes a big liability for him in the short term, which I think it would. The American people are not in favor of amnesty. And when they find out and they will what the real number of people in the country illegally is, it is not 11 million. And I'm not just surmising that I'm not just coming up with that. I've spoken extensively to members of Border Patrol and uh, Customs and Border uh, Customs and Immigration Enforcement. And they will tell you there's just no way based on their monthly numbers and this whole, oh, there's net zero immigration right now doesn't count because of COVID. But in general, net zero immigration to the U.S. from Mexico and the rest of uh, Latin America, south of Mexico, is, is this is a fantasy that we've all been told to make people not think that there is a massive, a, a seismic shift in the U.S. population that comes not just from immigrants in general, but really from Mexico and Central America. It's been an enormous change unlike anything we've ever experienced in our history when you just look at the aggregate number of people from one place or one culture and region and if they found out that it was 20 or 30 million americans who are about to be made permanent residents um and then eventually the democrats would want to give them voting rights too right so first comes the permanent residency and then citizenship is just a step beyond that that's just a, a legislative fix at that point uh, we're going to see an election here where I think it's pretty easy to say that less than a half a million votes will determine spread out over a number of states will determine the outcome. What do you think happens to the future of elections in this country if you add, let's call it 20 million new uh, new citizens? They would say first just permanent residents or green card or something like that. They'd be made citizens within short order. Uh, So they make 20 million new citizens with an average Democrat voting advantage of uh, of 60 or 70 percent of them. Right. So so let's say two to three to one would be what you're looking at. You know, two or two to one or three to I'm sorry, three to one or four to one 
would be the advantage you're looking at, especially after a Democrat uh, Democrat amnesty among that population. Do you think we're going to win any elections after that? Uh, you think that that's really going to happen? Well, you have much larger illegal populations in a lot of states you don't even think of in the Carolinas, for example. Think about what that would do to flipping Texas blue. So this is a very consequential election because if Democrats just get that, it would strike me that they can get the Supreme Court doing their bidding with court packing and they can get amnesty uh, across the, you know, they could just get a universal amnesty passed. You know, that's what they remember. Reagan signed an amnesty bill for millions of people back in 86. And he said he was swindled and it was a bad move. If they get that, what really becomes our opposition? What are we able to do then to try to win national elections? I don't have a good answer for you other than I think it, I think America becomes for at least a few generations a one party state and our debt and the size of government and the intrusiveness of government becomes uh, more and more unbearable. And then eventually maybe there's either a collapse or there's some recognition that the government that our system has worked so well because it allows people to make choices, to live in freedom and to pursue their destiny as is best for them as individuals. And then when you eliminate that, you have something else. When you eliminate that and you give people just the the soma of government uh, largesse, oh, we're going to we're going to take care of you. We're going to give you your health care. We're going to give you this and that and everything else. I mean, there's a reason why uh, other countries that take that approach that really first of all, they really take that approach. People always point to uh, Sweden and uh, and, you know, the Scandinavian countries, Denmark, and they don't understand that those are very free market friendly countries for business to operate in. They have low corporate tax rates. They have high individual taxes and a large welfare state and a tremendous amount of social buy in and social responsibility. Right. Everybody works. Everybody gets the perks. That's their approach. But they're not socialist countries. They don't have the government in control of all industries. And if anything, they've moved away from socialism and become much more free market over the last 20 or 30 years. Norway is a bit of an outlier as well, but Norway is also a country that is very small, politically and ideologically homogenous and has enormous fossil fuel reserves that can fund things that, you know, you wouldn't be able to have otherwise for the country. But I mean, you obviously you look at Venezuela, which is a country that was promised that has also enormous oil reserves and uh, largest uh, oil reserves in the world for what it is. Um, and. It's a country that's falling apart where there are bread lines, where they don't have medicine. And it's because they put in charge a government that thought it could solve all the problems for the people that would set price controls, that use social justice as a means of determining how to run the economy. This results in very bad outcomes. So, I mean, this is just my my way of of working through with you. How consequential is this election? If Trump loses, we may not have another opportunity to elect a Republican for a generation or two. I think that's real. I think that's true. And what would the country be like if it took 10 or 20 years for a Republican to be able to win office again? What would the Republican Party even be like at that point? So I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that this is the most consequential election, not just of my lifetime, but perhaps of the last 150 years, because it'll be a very different country if we lose this. And I'm right about what the Democrats try to do. And unfortunately, when it comes to Democrats being a bunch of scheming, maneuvering, you know, absolutely ruthless political hatchet men, um, I tend to be right.
So that's what I see happening here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. I got to get access to the whatever the, the Democrat list serve is or the email list or whatever, where they all get their assigned talking points from the DNC, because I would just love to see exactly how they managed to convince so many people who are, are supposed to think uh, are supposed to think that mortgaging or, or se- selling out their own intellectual credibility. I mean, looking like total bozos all the time is the price you have to pay now for being a Democrat. I mean, you have to be so subservient. You have to be such a little toady, a little quizzling. Little, uh, you have to be a little Brian Stelter over at CNN. Uh, whatever, whatever Jeff tells me, I'll say, uh, I hate Fox News. Uh. That's what you got to do. So he's uh, one of many. He's really uh, an archetype. He's really the quintessential version of the uh, toadying leftist, the, uh, the throne-shining lib that will say whatever he has to say. No intellectual honesty, no journalistic integrity whatsoever. There's, but there's so many of them. And you have uh, here, I've never even heard of this guy before, Florida State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg. He's, he's getting in on this, too. Maybe, maybe he wants to you know, get a promotion in a Biden administration, play eight. Uh, the president is taking a page from the desperation chapter of the dictator's playbook. Uh, his other October surprises have not worked. The Durham report still hasn't come out. It's not going to come out till after the election. The investigation into uh, the unmasking and spying of his campaign is, has been a big nothing burger. Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, that whole thing is, mm-hmm. has been fizzling. It looks like it's tied to Vladimir Putin in Moscow. So he's stuck. And so that's why this all sounds eerily familiar. Barbara's right. This is what we saw with the president of Ukraine, where he's demanding an announcement of an investigation because he knows the power of that. Even though it got him impeached, he knows that that's how he got elected in 2016. I don't even know what that guy thinks. He thinks he's saying, but he sounds like a complete moron. But let's understand this. At this stage, with a desperate Biden campaign that is running a weak candidate who is too old for the job, who has been unimpressive as a legislator for decades, who was a non-event VP chosen by Obama because, you know, they just needed somebody from inside the system who wasn't going to make too much noise or be too annoying. So in that sense, I guess he sufficed. But now it's a question of stupidity as fealty. You have to go out there if you're a Democrat, if you're going to be a good little soldier for the DNC, you got to go out there and say things that you must know at some level make you look like a moron. You have to. And in fact, the dumber you're willing to sound, the more extreme you're willing to be in your denunciations of this as Russian propaganda and tying this to Vladimir Putin you know, well, why not just say that this is an FSB or, or, or an SVR operation? Uh, why not just tell everybody that that's it? You know, why not go the extra mile? Trump is actually a Russian asset. Oh, well, they've already said that. How could they make this more extreme? Oh, Rudy Giuliani's a Russian asset. I heard that one recently, too. These people will defame anyone. I mean, if you think Rudy Giuliani is an asset of the Russian government, you're not an intelligent human being. But. Remember, there are the people that are too dumb to understand what the lies are, which a lot of Democrats, 
And then there are the people that are willing to embrace a stupid lie because it advances their position and makes getting a position in the Biden administration, a senior position, more likely. I always say this and people get mad at me. They go, Buck, don't don't say anything good about the other side. Don't say anything good about the other team. The left takes care of its fighters. You know, the left takes care of people that even, uh, you know, Tubin. I mean, I, I, I've avoided because I know a lot of you have kids who listen to the show and I always want you to know your, you know, your eight year old, your 10 year old. They'll always be safe listening to every everything the Buck Saxon show. You might have to explain a little bit to them afterwards, but nothing that would be inappropriate or or, you know, you would you'd say, oh, I can't have him listen to that. So I've avoided a lot of the Tubin jokes that I would otherwise like to make. But one reason why I don't have a, I can tell you this, if Tubin were a conservative, for whatever reason, uh, they'd be trying to say that he should have, you know, sex crime charges p- pushed against him, you know, that it was indecent exposure on purpose. You know, that's true. No one's even mentioned that. And by the way, I don't think that should happen to anybody. But I'm just telling you the difference in the media approach. You're going to see this. Jeffrey Tubin is, you know, it's embarrassing. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, we don't have to get into it, but he certainly got into it. Uh, sorry. I mean, come on. I can't, but he's, he's already a millionaire. He's already got these very privileged sinecures at places like the New Yorker and and CNN. He's going to come back and it's going to be fine. Anderson Cooper will bow and genuflect when Tubin comes on to talk about his legal analysis. What are the worst legal analysts on TV? Just says stuff all the time. That's not true. That's not intelligent, but it's exactly what the Democrat left wants to hear. It's what the Upper West Side and, you know, in New York City and Calorama in D.C. and Santa Monica and Beverly Hills in California. It's what they want to hear. And Tubin provides. And of course, all those counties around D.C. where all the all the uh, rich people who. Why are they rich again? Oh, yeah, that's right. Proximity to government. Uh, that's where they that's where they live. So but Tubin will be fine. They take care of their own. Do you know what uh, Peter Strzok is doing right now? A lot of you say, Buck, uh, he should be in prison. Right. Do you know where he is? Teaching at Georgetown University. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You know what James Comey's doing? Counting his millions from his book deal and tour and speaking events. And yeah, you know what General Flynn is doing? Still trying to get out of a farcical, unjust, evil, corrupt prosecution. You see the trend, friends? You see what happens? Just wait until I'm here telling you about, oh, it's the Biden administration. And now Buck Sexton is having his first really thorough IRS deep dive into everything I've ever done for the last seven years day. That's going to happen at some point. I'm ready for it. The good news is I'm very good at crossing my T's and dotting my I's. But it doesn't matter who you are. If the IRS wants to make things miserable for you, they can. And Democrats like Bill Clinton, as we all know, love using the IRS against their enemies. Oh, I'm sorry. Like Barack Obama, too. Lois Lerner, sure. She was the only one who was who was going after groups that said, you know, Patriot or Tea Party or anything like that. that were nonprofits. It was just Lois Lerner's own initiative. Yeah, sure. You know, this is like when the, you know, the mafia boss, oh, my, I, I never uh, I never gave the order. Yeah, you never gave the order because you tell everybody things whispered in your ear in the back of a restaurant that you sweep for bugs every day. We all know what's really going on. We all know who was really giving that order to go after the Tea Party wasn't Lois Lerner on her own, folks. But what a what a look, if you're just if you're just judging the other side by the effectiveness of its ruthless moves, 
Democrats have a lot to teach us. Democrats don't care that they ran this Russia playbook the last time around. They're doing it again. Doesn't matter that it's obvious to anybody how fraudulent this whole thing is, how unfair, how unethical. As far as they're concerned, the more unethical, the better. It shows resolve. It shows zealotry, dedication. If you want to be a good little leftist, you better be a part of the revolution, friends, or else you're a counter-revolutionary. And counter-revolutionaries do not have good outcomes when the left takes over. That's another part of this. I do believe if Joe Biden wins this election, uh, there will be consequences for a lot of us. I think that there will be an effort to use social media platforms to silence even more. I do believe we're going to reach a point where all of the tweets worth reading will say sensitive content warning on them. Those will be the only ones you want to read because everything else is just the echo chamber propaganda of the left. It's all the same stuff. And I think people uh, naturally we'd like to believe that there's a state of balance in our politics and a state of balance in our media. Um, It's not true. It's not true. In a lot of countries, you have one party rule. In a lot of countries around the world that are supposedly, you know, free and open or relatively free and open, you really have one one uh, ideology that completely dominates the public discussion, and anybody who dissents from it is ridiculed and ostracized and shut down. So we are an anomaly in this regard. The fact that we're even really trying, and and that our two party system represents people uh, on both sides of of very different ideas. There are big separations. I'm glad we don't have. Usually there are people that try to get attention for themselves during an election by saying both parties are the same. There's no difference. And this is supposed to be really edgy thinking. No, that's not true. Both parties are not the same. They suffer from some of the same structural shortcomings. But those are also just human failings. It's like saying, well, people are greedy and lie and don't do right. That's always going to be true. But if you're looking at what the parties represent and what they want to accomplish, there's some enormous differences. There's the difference for one. You know, and I, I found this so fascinating. I, I pointed this out. What was it? Just just yesterday um, that of all the things that Trump gets credit for, there's one that I think is so interesting. You know, he hasn't started a war in four years. He's the first president in decades for whom that is true. And the media just doesn't care. You never hear about this. The anti-war left doesn't care, never gets a mention from them. Their opposition to war was apparently political, not ethical. You know, I shared that online on Twitter a day or two ago, and it went very viral because I think it is such a an overlooked point in all of this. I'm I'm somebody who has grown up. I mean, my entire adult life essentially has just been a series of American wars and occupations. Trump is the first president to stop that. And they said he was going to go to war with Iran. They said he was going to go to war with North Korea. It's not true. We have results. This is about facts. This is not about perception. We did not go to war with any of these countries. He started uh, pushing back on China for its illicit trade practices and all of the scheming and and undermining of our economy and, and the theft of intellectual property that China does, we were told, oh, well, that might lead to a war. No, it hasn't. What it's led to is the Chinese government, finally, the Chinese Communist Party being put on notice. There's a new sheriff in town. Now, they don't like that sheriff, but that's because he's defending the defenseless farmers, i.e. the American people, 
who are left to the rapacious mercantilism of the Chinese Communist Party's trade policies. Well, not anymore. Well, that's all changed. In fact, foreign policy, where the president also has peace deals in the Middle East, not done by decades of, of previous attempts, uh, by other presidents of both parties, the president on foreign policy, it's really one of his areas of biggest success. The U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal, for example. Uh, I mean, they say pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord is a bad idea. That, that whole thing is a joke. It's just all a big global virtue signaling bacchanal. Oh, yeah, they're all going to hold themselves to account for their carbon emissions. Nobody really believes that. No one really takes that seriously. Countries aren't going to make themselves... Uh, objectively, countries are not going to make themselves poorer, certainly large companies that think they have a big growth in their future because of climate change. That's not going to happen. But the president hasn't started new wars, and yet that's never talked about. And perhaps because I not only come from a generation that's been fighting wars, but I was in war zones. I remember what it was like to feel the first pulse from a distance of a car bomb going off. I remember the first sirens blaring to let me know, incoming, run for your life. There are mortar rounds falling around you. I remember visiting a friend of mine, a dear friend in, in Walter Reed, because one of those mortar rounds almost sheared off his leg. He barely lived. And I remember seeing the body count coming in of Iraqis, of Americans, day in and day out as I was working the Iraq desk at the CIA and then being in country and hearing those uh, hearing the, the gun battles and gunfire being in a Blackhawk when they started lighting it up with uh, 240 Gulf machine guns because they either thought there was something on the ground or they were doing target practice. I don't even I never even asked. I just remember being on that Blackhawk and thinking, oh, well, now we're in a war zone and there are machine guns firing all around me. This is an interesting circumstance. When you've been around that kind of stuff, when you've seen it and when you've seen the, the faces, I remember another friend of mine. Uh, who I had just seen, I was supposed to go to a meeting with them and he was uh, SF, he was special forces. And I was going to accompany them to a meeting with a source. And uh, I couldn't go because helicopter schedule change. I was taking a helo. So I, uh, I had to, cause I was hitching a ride on a military bird. And so I don't get to tell them where the birds coming and going. And I missed that meeting. And the next day he ended up with his team uh, taking down an HVT on the way to the meeting and got hit with a suicide vest and ball bearings. I remember seeing him. He showed, he showed, he lifted the patches off as he was hobbling around uh, the military base where we met up later. And he had perfectly little cylindrical holes from where the ball bearings went in. And he was fine. God bless. He was okay. None of his team were seriously wounded. They all, they got some ball bearings, but they were far enough that none of them died. And I remember seeing this and being around this as just a civilian CIA analyst in country and then in Afghanistan later on. And we're not doing that to our guys again. We're not doing that. And that's a big deal because a lot of people came home missing arms and legs, severely burned. A lot of people came home with PTSD. And that's something that a commander in chief has to live with forever. This president has been doing everything he can to make sure that we have as few of those situations as possible. It's an enormous positive. Because we don't need to be fighting a war. We don't need to fight a war with Iran. We don't need to fight a war with China. We don't need to do this. We don't need to topple a government in Libya. And you would think that people would care more, especially in the media about this. But no. Their opposition to war was never 
ethical, never moral. It was political. It was a cudgel, a weapon to attack Republicans.